This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Jump. You're on In Your Face on 3CR with James. On today's show, two trailblazing women join us. Journalist, cricketer, athlete, Caroline Late, and trailblazing performer, Thea Riley. You're listening to 3CR Radio. And we're joined on the line by pioneering athlete, cricketer, uh, you name it, journalist, Caroline Late. Caroline, welcome to the program. Welcome, James. Oh, thank you, James. It's so great to have you on board. You recently played at the Over 40s Women's Cricket Championships in Barrel in New South Wales, and your team, the New South Wales Blues, won the national championships. That must have been a huge thrill. That's right. Yeah, it was fantastic. We, um, we won all four games, and I was a T20 format. And uh, we had a couple of Austra- former Australian players in our team, so that was very exciting. And uh, another New South Wales rep, and New South Wales reps in other sports. So, um, yeah, we came away with a win, and it was it was just a fantastic experience down at Barrel. You've been a pioneer for trans women in cricket. Tell us about your journey in cricket. Uh, yeah, I started off, um, I actually came across, and I played rugby league for uh, New South Wales in 2007, and I didn't make the Jillaroo, so I thought, oh, I need another sport, you know. So I thought, I thought I'll go and play... Um, cricket so that's where the journey began I had played before had played before um when I was at school boarding school um in the 13 A's and that was the last time I'd played so um since then I've been playing grade cricket mainly seconds and thirds and I've played a little bit of first grade so um yeah and from there it's just sort of I've just been playing pretty much um every year except for I had a couple of years break over the last couple of years when I did my journalism degree so tell us about your journey in sport I mean have you always been an athlete you must have been surely Started out as a four-year-old playing rugby league, so in my brother's team, Todd, my older brother Todd, and down at, old, at Tarrant Point, we used to live in the um, in the Sylvania area, we lived at Sylvania Waters, and so yeah, I did that, and I used to watch the trains go by, so I wasn't all that great to start off with, I used to chew on my sleeve and watch the trains go by, and um, but then by about seven, I realised I could run and I could actually score tries, and that was that was that was kind of fun. So um, and then just went from there. I did lays, I played cricket, and yeah, so I just sort of began a, a sort of life, a long, a, like a lifelong love of sport for me, which was um just fantastic. And obviously with my gender issues, it, it gave me another focus away from being trans and that, and sort of having to worry about that. I suppose in a society that's probably especially Especially back then, there wasn't very much education or understanding of someone who was trans. So I could sort of hide away a little bit. So how did, how did your love of sport and your excellence in so many sports, how did that impact on you as a gender diverse person and transitioning? Uh, did it make it easier? Did it make it harder? Like, tell us a bit about your journey there. I think 
when I transitioned, I um I actually was an aerobics competitor for a while because I have a fitness background too. I was a, a group fitness instructor, and later on I became a personal trainer after I transitioned. But um so I suppose for me I. When I transitioned, I just sort of thought, well, I'm done with sport. I've, I've had my go. I've played, um, I've played first grade rugby union. I've played first grade rugby league in the bush in uh, Group Six Country Rugby League. I was a aerobics competitor. I was a state champion. I'm oh, sorry, not a state champion. A state finalist in um, under 20s for athletics and a GPS champion for athletics with the GPS private schools. So for me, uh, in the relay, so that was for me that was um, it was all done and dusted, and uh, so I wasn't coming back. But then about six years later, the Gay Games were here on in Sydney, and I thought, well. I'll go and partake in those as a sprinter and I was fortunate enough to win the 100 and the 200 and the long jump and um, I think the 4x100 relay for the women's 35 and so it all started again so yeah so um, yeah I was just done and dusted and um, I was just going to um, live a normal life I suppose but um, the lure of sport brought me back so yeah it always it always it's always helped me but I suppose it may have delayed me transitioning because I always had that focus too and trying to belong and sometimes sport isn't an inclusive environment for people that are LGBTIQ, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So of all the sports that you've competed in, which one would you say was the most uh, accepting and had the best policies for gender diverse competitors? I think at the moment, the, 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 the cricket policies are fantastic. You know, like there was two trans women down there competing in the over 40s tournament. There was uh, myself and Erica James, and she competes for the universities club. Uh, Alex Blackwell brought that policy out, and I had a little bit to do with it a few years earlier when Jess Henry, our president at Gordon, asked me some information about it. So I think they're, they're really on the ball, and they're great with it. Um, I think I think Athletics New South Wales are really good too. Like I, I did all the gender tests and all that when I first came back and competed in 2003. So that. That was uh, I did I did a max VO2 test and uh, I had I had a non-invasive medical with a sports doctor and then I was cleared to compete because my blood levels were, were in line or the same as a, they were judged the same with that max VO2 test as a normal female athlete I think it was 35.5 milliliters of oxygen per minute. I think those two sports are probably the best. I think rugby league and rugby union are lagging behind still. I've also rowed. I'm not not sure about what their policies are as far as trans athletes go. But I'd say definitely at the moment it would be cricket and athletics are probably the two two that I've found that have been the best. But in saying that, I received an email only two days ago from the AMA. She's on the board, um, Wilma Perkins. And the IAAF and the IOC, and I think it's the IAAF stepping in and they're going to make it a little bit harder for trans athletes, I've been told. So she was just asking about my experience. So that might be something worth following up too. Absolutely. So what is the testing like? I mean, trans athletes just seem to be under an enormous amount of scrutiny. Is it invasive? Is it, is it unnecessary? Like, what are your thoughts on all of that? Well, from my understanding, I mean, it's a long time since I've been an elite athlete playing for my state and things like that. And also, even for Masters, I actually was close to being tested for a World Championships, but in 2010, World Masters, where I won a bronze and a gold medalist actually got tested, and that was in the weight throw. So for, for trans athletes, it's another level, I, I believe. For when I was tested, I actually voluntarily took those tests just in case there was pushback at me competing but I, I was I never had a problem um, to start with but I think for the athletes now there was 10 nanomoles and now they're trying to bring it down to 5 so yes it is invasive and I think it's a little bit unfair because a lot of um, cisgender women are around about 8 to 10 you know and then a lot of them are now playing sport and they're doing their training programs and they're actually some of them are above and, and not getting their period while they're playing. So their testosterone levels are higher than actual trans women. So 
you know, so I, I, I don't think... I, I think there's a, a lot of hoopla about this unfair advantage and all that the trans athletes have. But if you look at the science, it's probably... It's not really there after an athlete has transitioned over so many years. So um, maybe for tra- uh, trans women that still non... Uh, haven't had the surgery and things like that. It maybe has to be a little monitored a little bit more closely, and especially if they've only been transitioned for a year or two. And that, that probably I understand they have to be probably has to be a little bit more scrutiny. But in saying that, I think they have every right, every, every right to compete. There was a lot of controversy over Cricket Australia's inclusion policy released mm-hmm. a few months ago. How would you describe the policy's rollout? It seems like it's been pretty pretty seamless in its implementation. Yeah. Well. Um, uh, Kirsty, I was talking to Kirsty this morning, and um, Kirsty Miller, who you, yes, who you know very well. You've interviewed her, interviewed her a, f- a few times, a few times now, and and yes, yeah, so I was talking to her this morning, and I think she was saying she actually knows probably a little bit more about this than I do, and she was saying um, that, that there's the grassroots clubs that asked for it because they wanted to be inclusive of, of trans athletes. So um, you know, they wanted to know how to do this, and that's when Jess came to me about five years ago and asked me about my own experience, and I said, you know, like, so I I think it's been a seamless role out and I think it's been great you know like there wasn't a scary scary controversy down in um Canberra, uh, sorry, not Canberra, Bowerall, with my playing or Erica James playing um, in this tournament, and we're both trans women, and I just think it's fantastic. It wasn't There wasn't an eyelid batted, you know, just normal women just playing a game of cricket. So as far as I'm concerned, what I've seen and what I've heard, I think it's been a seamless transition and rollout, and I think, yeah, kudos to Cricket Australia. I think they've done a fantastic job. So Bowerall has embraced the policy. Yes, definitely. Oh, it was fantastic. We played at the Bradman uh, Centre of... Rudman Centre, and we played on their oval, a turf wicket. It was, yeah, just a fantastic experience, you know. We played 10, 20, 20, uh, T20 because we're, you know, over 40 now. I'm actually 54, and I think I was the oldest New South Wales player, except Rena Hawke, she was an ex-New South Wales rep. She came and played for us one match, so she was technically the oldest player. And then we had some of the Victorians there, and they had some ladies uh, 66 and 67. It was great to play 20, T20, and we all really thoroughly enjoyed it. And playing at the Bradman Centre, really made it a barrel. It was just a fantastic experience. You've won four rugby national championships. How would you compare rugby for trans athletes? Uh, How much catch-up does it need to do compared to cricket, for example? It's huge. I think they're still a long way behind. Um, They don't even have it. I think this policy is still, you know... It's still at that stage where if someone complains, then a player can be pulled out of a team and things like that. So from my understanding, you know, the the, the, the current policy that I read, so it's they're trying to be inclusive, but it's a little bit wishy-washy. So I think them and Rugby League have still got a long way to go. I think they're great with the same-sex stuff, like, you know, lesbian women playing. And you still don't see many gay men playing at that level or, or not out gay men. So I think that's got a long way to come or go. But I think that the, the uh, lesbian women have won their battle. But I think as far as trans women, there still needs to be um, probably a more inclusive policy set up. So they're, they're a long way behind the eight ball when it comes to sports like athletics and uh, cricket, the inclusive sports. I think cycling's really good too from what I hear. So it sounds like there's a lot of entrenched structural homophobia in rugby. I think... Uh, look, I had some wonderful coaches. I didn't have a very good experience with some, and I didn't have a very good experience with the national setup. So, but as far as my Sydney coaches and that, they were fantastic. But I think, I think, yeah, 
agree, the higher you get up, it seems to be a little bit more entrenched. I agree. And But as far as my fellow players and all that was concerned, the ones that knew I was trans, um, they were fantastic. It wasn't really an issue, especially my rep teammates and, you know, most of my club teammates. And I played with some fantastic players like Ruin Sims, Cheryl, Cheryl Soon, Tui Ormsby, all these players that went on and won the Sevens World, World Cup. And then I think they got third at the 15s World Cup about 2010 so you know like um and that was a fantastic Sydney team we won the national tournament and we didn't get a point scored against us we beat Queensland 17-0 in the final in 2007 so um there was never any major issues as far as the players went my coaching staff was great and even my coach said well you're playing well enough we can get you into the Australian squad you should be there and I said look I'm playing rugby league now also I'm in the New South Wales team I'll probably concentrate on trying to get there with that so you know and I said thank you I don't want to play for those coaches anyway because there was some angst there but you know you I think you just suck it up and you move on so <laughs> so I mean that's what I did so um yeah so it, 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 it I think it probably needs a little bit of a it probably it probably needs some fine-tuning and I think I was lucky Sydney women I did have some real angst in 2005 and they moved on those coaches that gave me a hard time and and that that was a that was probably the watershed moment for me if it had continued I don't think I could have played on so um yeah so I think that just needs to happen with Australian rugby now too at a higher level you're competing in athletics this weekend which disciplines will you be competing in well, I used to be a sprinter, so initially when I first started, now I'm a thrower. So um, I'll be um, throwing shot put and doing hammer, and I do those two disciplines quite well. I will be also throwing javelin, and I'm not very good at that. I can throw it, but I just can't land it. <laughs> so so I'll be competing in um, three Masters teams and an open team for the hammer. So that, that'll be um, quite exciting. And I imagine um, your, your background in rugby would, would help with the hammer? Yeah, um, I'm... Pretty short and squat, though I'm only five foot seven, so I'm not, and I'm pretty solid. So I suppose um, I can get a bit, of, and I'm a bit of a power athlete, so I can get that pace up around that circle. So I can, you know, um, without too much training, which I haven't been doing, I think I can get it probably over 40 meters for three k, three k hammer, which isn't too bad, and that'll probably get. Um, we'll probably do pretty well in the Masters. With the open hammer, I'll probably throw it, you know. I actually did a PB with no training, 36 metres. So so um, it's not Olympic standard, but, you know, it's still pretty handy. So, you know, um, I think, I think you know, so uh, we, we'll probably have a, have, a, have a fair team and see how we go. In the Masters, we'll do well. We'll see how we go in the Opens because there's some very good hammer throwers around. So what so, is your training secret? Like, how do you enable yourself to compete in all these different sports? Is it because you've got such a grounding that 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 benefits you or or yeah what's your secret how do you do it how do you be a runner a thrower a cricketer like um, what's your secret well i can't run anymore uh, competitively but i can still run around a cricket cricket oval so um and but as all the other stuff i've actually t- took about a year off sport so i've come back and i found out the hard way because i'm actually off to the physio twice a week at the moment but i'm starting to feel good now because i had a year off sport and i was a bit of a couch potato doing my journalism degree and i think now i'm starting to get into the gr- into the rhythm of it all now so i think it's muscle memory coming back and it's 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 I've got that memory of playing those sports and, and, and doing that so I can still pull out the, the, the distances I need when I play sport. Like, I, I, you know, I had a throw the other day and I threw my 3K shot 11 metres, which is pretty good, and I can throw around about 12 and a half, 13 on a good day. So, um, so yeah, you know, so I was pretty happy that I'm still throwing only a couple of metres less than that with no training. So, yeah, I, I just think um, it's probably the muscle memory and, and play a lifetime of sport and exercise that I can do I'm, I can do that. And I think most sports people can relate to that. 
So, so tell us yeah. how muscle memory works. It's just like, so say someone, because um, I've also got a fitness background, as I said, so say someone's never trained in their life and they go to the gym and um, say they're 40 or whatever and they really, really struggle. It's a real hard slog for them and they don't enjoy their sport, they don't get uh, their fitness, they don't get endorphins and that doesn't, the, the endorphins don't cut in and things like that. For someone who's got the muscle memory and has done training before, they actually, even if they're unfit, they get it back pretty quickly and then the endorphins kick in and you start to feel good about yourself within a few months. So that's the difference where it might take a couple of years for a non-exerciser, someone who's never exercised in their life or done any major exercise, they will struggle and it'll take them a long time to feel that have that feel good the endorphins kick in and all that sort of stuff so yeah so i mean having um the feel good from exercise is a learned experience you know it's not something that we naturally feel we have to do it over a period of time obviously is when it, when we're younger it's there's no effort like i'd just go play any sport and you you'd know you never feel sore you wouldn't get injuries and this and that as we get older we have to maintain our bodies and um you know if we, without you know tearing major muscles and things like that or doing something bad to ourselves so to, in order so we can play our sports if that makes sense <laughs> absolutely so caroline yeah. finally what can we expect from you in sports journalism it sounds like there's some stuff happening there too well, well i'm actually making a documentary and it's on rainbow beach, rainbow beach there so it actually is about a um a queensland lgbtiq inclusive club they um send people to gay games and they've um they were working in conjunction with Australia's first Pride House at the Commonwealth Games, and they had funding to paint the rainbow stairs in a nice, beautiful colours. And, yeah, so I'm making a documentary about that. But, unfortunately, their uh, stairs were hijacked, and um, mm. someone put another message on there. So, um, and a homophobic? The... No, it wasn't homophobic. It, um, it, it, was, it, was, a, it was a message... Um, it was... I, I, it was uh, how good is living it was actually and it's been documented in the press before so i've gone up there and interviewed the team rainbow um, members and i've tried to i'm still waiting to hear back from council and you know so there was a little bit of a a kerfuffle up there and you know and i I think probably the the pride house and the the lgbtiq has been erased a little bit and i think that's because of people's you know people have have a certain view of how regional australia should be and people in power and i think that's probably where the, the the problem lies. But in saying that, it's sort of been sorted out now. Council's going to keep the stairs there, and and the message now I think is um it's Rainbow Beach, Queensland they're going to put there. So it's sort of been sorted out. So it's just sort of um it's about that, but it's also about wider Queensland and the homophobia that people so it's actually gone transcended the stairs and it's now I'm now sort of concentrating on Queensland too so I've edited about 30 minutes of footage so I'm hoping to get into the Queer Film Festival and see how we go from there so that's what I'm working on at the moment yeah Team Um, Rainbow tell us a little bit more about them for listeners who aren't familiar with them well, they're fantastic. So they're in Queensland, uh, Rainbow Beach, and that and the area, the, uh, the Sunshine Coast, and any, anywhere in Queensland. And um, so, if you want to compete in the Gay Games or you want to access, they they put on. Um, so they've put on um, a few events up there. They put on the triathlon day up there. They have events in, in Rainbow Beach, and so they sent a team to the to the Gay Games, much as in like they have down here with Team Sydney. So all the different sports they go under that banner and they compete at Gay Games and and they represent that region at the Gay Games. So that's that's what they're about. But they also got involved with the Pride House, the Commonwealth Games, the first one that's ever been in Australia, and they um, they were organising a lot of uh, what happened with that in conjunction with Matt Hall, who um, Matt was 
was um, he was he was a project manager, so they worked in conjunction with him, and they uh, were in charge of a lot of the uh, the funding and things like that. So, which was just a fantastic effort. So they were asked to come on board, and they did, and they did a great job. So yeah. It's just, it's just great to see um, and fully inclusive. And you don't have to be LGBT to join them. You can be anyone. So, you know, cis hat, you know, just anyone can join and they're fully inclusive of everyone. So that's, um, that's they've got a really fantastic service for people that want to join their club. So, yeah. Caroline Late, thank you for chatting with us on 3CR. It's been totally inspirational and good luck on the weekend competing. Oh, thank you, James, and thank you for having me. So, um, yeah, it was, it was an honour talking to you today. So thank you so much. No worries. We must talk again. Cheers. And I can't stay But I am sure to break the backbone of this house And I can't stand Side of the lies you tell to explain the world And you push me away and you fly, you don't fly, this is all it takes to break me, whether it be silence and darkness, as long as I can see I am on my own, nobody
Subscribe to your award-winning independent community radio, bringing you coverage of community issues and events. This is Beta Base Camp. Welcome to the Little Red Slangy Treehouse. As you said, I'm going to the East West Tunnel ticket, as it usually does, starts at 5.30am. Uh, the Lincoln Melbourne Authority have come here in the middle of the night and set up another drill rig here on Gold Street. The police were pretty keen to defend that with all their resources this morning. And I think for Australians... In order to know ourselves, really fully know ourselves, in order to mature, we need to understand Aboriginal culture. We need to embrace it and realise that in coming here, you're now part of the longest continuing culture in the world. We need your support. Subscribe today. Call 9419 8377 now. We are in your face on 3CR with James. And before that promo, we heard from Thea Riley, Heart in Pieces, and the artist herself, Thea Riley, joins us on the line. Thea, welcome to 3CR. Hi, James. What a beautiful track, Heart in Pieces. Tell us about what was going on for you when you wrote that. Uh, sure, thank you. Um, look, it is a pretty... I won't say it's a happy song, but... Um, I feel like everybody has those times in life where you sort of need to break to, like, be whole again, to, like, just just to continue your life. And, you know, that's sort of what was happening. And the song just came naturally. It wasn't something that I sat down and intended to write, which I feel like it turned out a lot better for that happening. <laughs> Spontaneity, perhaps. Yeah. It sounds like it kind of wrote itself. It did a little bit, yeah. There was definitely darker sources in my life, I feel, you know, when that was happening. But, yeah, it's it's interesting having the distance from the track, like three or six months down the line and seeing that things actually turn out okay. So, yeah. Wow, <laughs> it sounds like there's been quite a journey the last six months. Yes. Well, I mean, really, it's like the last three years. Since I transitioned, the, so many changes get thrown at you and you've got to, like, uh, I guess it's like you either have to step up or and learn or, you know, it'll get the better of you. So, <laughs> yeah. Wow, it sounds like there's been so many experiences thrown at you and you mentioned learning mm-hmm. things. Like, what are some of those lessons that have been learnt? I think definitely self-sufficiency is something that comes with... You know, it's a big period of change. A lot of people will come and go from your life in that time. So I think self-sufficiency is probably the, the greatest thing I've learned from it. You know, not discounting the value of friends and community, but like, you know, when you're doing it tough in that area and you have self-sufficiency, you know, you can help yourself out. <laughs> I think that's pretty valuable. 
So tell us about yourself for listeners who aren't familiar with your amazing body of work. I know you're based in Newcastle. Sure, yeah. I'm in Newcastle. Pretty much been there all my life. I think uh, I did, I went to America for a little bit, but it was really just trying to follow my music wherever it took me, and that was sort of something that's happening there. And I feel like I've been a pretty spontaneous artist the last six years. Although I didn't even realise, looking back, that I've written 19 tracks for trans DJs over the years. So that I've really accidentally sort of made that part of my, you know, artist presentation. But now I think I'm moving in more of a solo direction. So, you know, it started the, the trance thing, started naturally and ending naturally. And I'm, yeah, I don't know, my life is very quick to change. So I feel like I'm the kind of person where I feel like my like my next three months is pretty much just me, you know, learning to adapt to whatever whatever comes. I mean, there's Christmas. I'm really looking forward to taking, taking a break. I am. You've had some incredible collaborations, and I'm not surprised it's tired you out because you have worked with quite a few people. Oh. Who's your, who's your favourite? Tell us about your favourite collaboration. I think I would say there's this song called On The Way You Go that I actually I didn't say for a long time what was it about. What, what it was about, but I wrote it at the very beginning of my transition when I wasn't sure, and um, I sent this vocal that I'd recorded actually in my bathroom at the time on my handheld recorder, and it was like a really rough idea, and I sent it to Giuseppe Ottaviani, and he's an Italian DJ, and uh, he took that recording actually from my little handheld device and just put it straight into the song. I didn't have to re-record anything. So it's the kind of songs that I appreciate where they happen organically, and... You know, they come from the heart. You know, people can tell when something's not genuine. And that song for me is, you know, it's <laughs> been life-changing because then I did go in transition and I haven't, you know, I'm still alive and I'm doing pretty well. Tell us about the realisation when you discovered your voice. That must have been an amazing moment. Sure. I guess there's a couple of different moments considering my <laughs> transition, but I, I do remember the first time I sang, I was with my sister, and we used to sing duet because we grew up in a church that was all uh, singing, no music. bit culty, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we just sang in church and we would sing, you know, Bible songs together. And, um, you know, eventually I got older and my voice broke and I didn't sing as much till around 17, and one of my friends got me back into it. So it's, I feel like... I didn't think that my voice was mine because I was living as a, you know, as a as a guy. And <laughs> to hear a man's singing voice come out of you when you identify as female is not the nicest thing. So I kept going with music because I love music, you know. I need it in my life. But I really found my voice after transition. And I would say only recently, like, in the last six months, I went and got singing lessons and I've really... Oh, it's just another thing to learn. I wish I could say something different, but that's literally all that I've been doing. It's just like learning and experiencing new things. Wow. So what are you working on musically at the moment? Like what's got your attention like today, for example, or this week? Well, this week, um, I just released a short film actually for one of my songs. So that's probably what where my brain's at. Do tell. Um, tell us some more about that. Sure, yeah. It was my first acting experience. It made me really, I really enjoyed myself and I sort of realised it's something I would like to do a lot more of. So, you know, this short film is a part of three different videos. There's two more to come. One's a prequel, one's a sequel, and it's a spy action thriller. So, yeah, we made it in four months. 
it was all like friends of friends and, uh, you know, and my friend uh, Hamish is a very good mentor to me and helped me, you know, those times that I've come out to sort of like assimilate better. And yeah, I don't know. It's a great piece of work, I think, that I got, you know, again, to expand my uh, skill set with, I guess, self-sufficiency too, because, you know, during that four months, there was only about five days where we had shooting and we had other people around. But, like, when everyone else was gone, you know, at the end of the day, it was me making this short film <laughs> that just felt a bit daunting. daunting. But um, it's the end of four months now, and uh, it looks really good. If you just search Shoulder of Our Town and Peter Riley into YouTube, it should pop right up for you. <laughs> You're no stranger to making awesome music videos. We posted one on our Twitter feed that was pretty amazing, got some great feedback about it. What's in the wings for you as far as music videos are concerned in the future? Oh, definitely storyline of these next short films to come in the series. Oh, there's more Um, short films. That's great. Yes, there's a lot of personal stuff, especially in the prequel. Uh, Oh, it's so hard. I can't say anything, but I really want to. Oh, why not? I'm so sorry. But yeah, no, those will be next year. I'm going to say March and August. So it's a long way away yet because, you know, the self-sufficiency thing and yeah, but I'm getting there and there'll be some pretty and just aesthetically pleasing music videos, which are much easier to make coming sooner than that. So that's probably what you'll see next. I want to do um, a video actually for the song I mentioned before with Giuseppe, which is On the Way You Go, that I wrote that transition. So that's probably the one that will be coming out soon. So maybe maybe February for that one, just because I want to take a good Christmas break, you know. <laughs> when, you, when you have a lot on, you value your downtime. So from Newcastle, what's the queer music scene like there? Is it flourishing or is it a bit isolating for you? Oh, good question. Look, I really retreated when I transitioned uh, with my music, I mean. So um, I actually haven't been on stage yet since I transitioned. So it's a big, daunting thing, another thing for me to sort of like overcome and figure out. Are we going to see you on stage in 2020? It's a goal, but I want to say maybe. (laughs) But yeah, it's it's a pretty welcoming scene here and Sydney even more so, you know, being just an hour and a bit away. It's also full of opportunity. Yeah, there's really a burgeoning, flourishing queer music scene in Sydney. Uh, who are some of the mm. artists that you like the most? Who should people listen to? Oh, from local musicians or just me personally? Because I have a lot of love personally that well, I could definitely... queer stop. Sydney musicians. Who should people queer be Sydney checking musicians. out? Are oh there any? Oh, there definitely is. But I, I think there's a lot of them that don't talk about their sexuality as well so I actually don't know you know how they identify yeah I'm sorry I'll need to look into that one more I've been a bit isolated making this video so I'm really not as up to speed as I should be so there we're going to wind <laughs> up with a track of yours uh, called All Will right. Be Okay it is a collaboration that you did with Eldo Henrico uh, tell us a little is, bit about yes. that collaboration sure so when I was in America I had a marriage that I was having trouble with and I wrote the song called We'll Be Okay and um, pretty self-explanatory really just a, just a lovely melancholy song and I sent it to Aldo and he heard it and he loved it and um, yeah there's two different versions out now two years later and uh, music video oh 
I can't say that yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, but you have. <laughs> oh, I have. Okay. <laughs> but that's not out yet. Okay. Awesome Gosh. stuff. Well, we're going to enjoy this track. Thea Riley, thank you so much for talking to us today on 3CR. You're and keep us posted, and we hope to see you in Melbourne on stage. Beautiful. I will try my best. Cheers. Thank Take you care. Again. Bye. Bye. The wonderful Thea Riley. We are out of here. Jacob is up next with a Friday rape. Taking us out is Thea Riley, and we'll be okay. I'm walking on
In Your Face would like to thank Thornhubber Health for their financial support of this program. Thornhubber Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities. A future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more about them, search Thornhubber Health on your search engine or find them on Facebook. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.